Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that has always had a soft spot for 70 mile per hour wobble on a good length. Yes, England were left feeling green around the gills after being Tim Murtard on the first morning at Lords, but they escaped to inflict a spectacular collapse of their own and deny Ireland what would have been an historic win. All of this adds further edge to the Ashes build-up, which is now coming in off its long run with the first test mere days away. To pick through it all, I'm joined by a blend of experience and youth with Mark Butcher and switch debutant Matt Roller in the studio. Any words of advice, Butch? And I don't mean on how to shave. <laughs> Just keep your eye on the ball. Play, play the ball, not the man. Always on switch. There you go, Matt. Take that one forward, wouldn't <laughs> Good. Um, we'll ease you in, don't worry. Now, uh, every so often we have to uh, pump our own tyres here, so I thought I'd quote Butch from last week's pod. Timotar... New ball, first morning. If the pitchers at Lords play anything like they did in the World Cup, it could be tricky. <laughs> Given what followed, um, I think we have to call that premeditated murder. Ah, uh, yes, I like it. I like it. <laughs> call Columbo. It was nothing like Columbo, really, was it? it was, uh, <laughs> no, no. It was like the Riverside in uh, in April. I don't know how Kojak would have played it either. No, probably, probably uh, he wouldn't have been saying, who loves your baby, that is for sure. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, but all too predictable. I mean, you know, you add in to that the the feeling that for some of the England players it was kind of a game that they could have done without. Um, and, uh, you know, a man on his home patch, desperate to kind of uh, to get himself on the honours on his board, albeit the, the one in the, in the room he wouldn't have been expecting at the start of his career. And it was the perfect storm. So, um, you know, entirely predictable, really. I suppose what couldn't have been predicted, though, was kind of like the... <laughs> the lemming-like uh, batting of England in that first innings, um, encapsulated well, not by entirely, but we've, we've seen them all out in a session a few times in recent. I, well, I know, <laughs> not, you know, it, it's still surprising though, strangely to me, because um, you just, I, you know, you just think, well, surely it can't keep happening, but it does, um, and it was encapsulated by Johnny's Johnny shot against Tim Murtagh, his entire innings against Tim Murtagh. Um, where he was trying to hit the ball before it had left his hand, I did, by the looks of it, the way he played <laughs> that uh, that push forward. Um, and then, you know, and then Jack Leach becomes becomes the hero of the day by just by doing what opening batters used to do, which was kind of let the odd one go, play it late, miss a few, scratch around in the crease for a bit, um, and wait for things to get easier. Uh, and in the end, 80 was, was plenty, wasn't it? They won by, by, by the margin of that and a bit more. Yeah. Um, Knocking Ireland over for thirty in conditions that were even more ripe for uh, for great bowling. And of course, the you know Broad and um, uh, Broad and, and Chris Wokes did it at sort of twenty miles an hour quicker. Indeed, uh, the the best comeback after being uh, bowled out so cheaply, or uh, you know uh, bowled out that cheaply in the first innings in over a hundred years, I think it was. Is that right? Um, I mean, it was the, it probably smacked a little bit of sort of eighteen hundreds uh, <laughs> cricket at times. Um, but Matt, good to see uh, a county stalwart like Timotar have his day in the in the sun there. Yeah, definitely, and you know he's he's the sort of guy that really seems to deserve it after all those years of hard graft. You saw him uh, walking off, getting interviewed, and saying he was going to settle in for a nice lunch. Might even treat himself to pudding on day one. And <laughs> you know, if, if, there's no one that could deserve it more out of uh, years of years of toil on the county grind. Um, Anyway, before we settle down on the couch to delve into England's issues once again, let's check in with the tourists as we enter Ashes Week. 
Dan Bretig was among the armada of Aussie backpackers down at Southampton for last week's selection match, which saw 25 candidates whittled down to a 17-man squad. The inclusions of Cam Bancroft, Matthew Wade and Mitchell Marsh were probably the most interesting. Uh, but just how well-equipped is the final party, Dan? Uh, it's a pretty good question. I think they have the benefit of... Uh about half the squad, or a little under half the squad, were playing in the World Cup, and about half um, were able to concentrate purely on the Red Ball, in this case the Red Dukes Ball, um, for about the past six months. So while they only had the one warm-up game as a collected group um, that was also a selection trial, uh, they had um, a inordinate amount of time relative to what they're used to where they didn't have to chop and change between formats and that, I think, will be most interesting in terms of how someone like Travis Head approaches this series, uh, what he takes out of playing his first um, big home series against India. And, and he, like a, a number of the other players, got worn down a bit by uh, by Jasper Bumrah uh, and his quality and, and, I, and I guess, the, um, the more, uh, I suppose you'd say, moderated aggression that... Um, uh, that succeeds in, in test cricket, um, particularly in England, if the ball's going to going to move around a bit. Um, in terms of, uh, kind of the ball doing a bit, the, it sounded like they were served up a, a rather interesting deck down there in Southampton for that, that uh, key selection trial match. Yeah, there were a few factors there. I, I think the um, one of them was that the the pitches in recent times at, at, uh, at the EGS Bowl have... Um, not necessarily shared the characteristics that the Australians wanted in their pitch, as in they wanted it to be effectively a slow green English seamer, um, that, that the sort that they think that they will be seeing at, at key points in the Ashes. Uh, but the uh, the square was pretty dry, so there was an attempt to grow green grass on the top of it, which which did succeed to a degree. But um, they then had the issue of while they had not had much rain for quite a while, they then had rain about, I think it was three days out from the game, meaning that when they were trying to do preparation, they couldn't do anything with it because it was stuck under covers. Um, so you had this sort of weird amalgam of a dry, slightly up and down Southampton pitch with green grass on the top of it. So it, it was, um, it was certainly all action. Uh, and, uh, I think probably from the point of view of the, the ground staff, uh, and the venue, um, they were fortunate that it wasn't a pitch being prepared for a game where the umpires are going to officially assess the pitch. <laughs> no uh, no points docked on this uh, occasion. But, I mean, certainly it looks like uh, Australia's seam bowling will be their strength, uh, and there were several um, good performances uh, on that perhaps helpful wicket. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think what also came through was that uh, you know, I mentioned about the, the the fact that some of the players have been able to prepare specifically for for um, long form cricket over the past few months. Uh, James Pattinson and Peter Siddle look particularly good, particularly dangerous, combining um, moving the ball around uh, with tremendous accuracy, and in Pattinson's case, obviously um, very slippery pace uh, and and a fair bit of uh, fire as well. Um, so. Uh, those two looked um, to be in, in, in very good shape, in particular uh, Josh Hazelwood working his way back from uh, injury that, that effectively cost him a, a World Cup place. I think they, they just decided it was better to manage him back for the Ashes directly. Uh, he got through 25 overs and, and took two for 56, so you had um, 
you had the, the parsimony, I guess, that, 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 they're, that they're going to be looking for from all of their bowlers. Uh, and um, uh, Mitch Marsh, who you mentioned off the top, he also bowled very well to five wickets in the second innings, uh, making him look like a legitimate, um, say, fourth-seam bowling option uh, should the, the team be balanced that way. And um, certainly he's been doing quite a lot of work on his bowling, I think, to get somewhere um, near in terms of uh, pace and rhythm that he had here in 2015, uh, but also allied to a, a greater degree of skill and, I guess, awareness of what you're going to do with the ball. Now, on the flip side of that, um, Mitchell Stark looked uh, a fair way short of his best. He uh, he went for a, uh, a scan on his knee during the game, and while that came back clear enough, um, his uh, his rhythm was not exactly as they would have liked it the Australian captain Tim Payne did say that uh, they were looking for him to uh, make the adjustments he needs to to go from one format to another, um, and that that is still a process ongoing. So, uh, I uh, from from this vantage point anyway, I am I'm not necessarily expecting him to play the first test uh, with a view to making sure that um, when he does take part in the series at Lords, for instance, he's um, right on top of his game. Um, well, I'm sure uh, all of the Australian bowlers will have been interested in in watching how England went at, at Lords um, against Ireland over the previous few days. Um, but you've spoken, uh, Dan, to, to Justin Langer uh, for a very interesting uh, in-depth interview that's, that's currently up on the site. Um, what struck you most about how he, how he is approaching uh, this tour? Uh, I think he... Um uh, he, he needed a little bit of time, uh, which the World Cup players and, and staff got uh, after the semi-final here in Birmingham to uh, to get over the disappointment of not getting all the way to the final um, and, and winning it. Uh, I think they felt that um, once they uh, had got their game in order over here um, and, um, and were winning matches um, to top the World Cup table, uh, they were expecting... And hoping to uh, to go all the way and, and win it, and I think getting over that um, has taken a bit of time. Um, but at the same time, he's been able to um, reconnect with the guys who've been concentrating on the on the red ball, and I guess taking advantage of the fact that they had they didn't have to worry about the World Cup. So uh, you combine that with having someone like Steve Waugh here, you know, a very very trusted uh, mentor of Langer, and now the the Australian team. Uh, in a role that's not exactly the same as the one that Ricky Ponting had during the World Cup, but similar in terms of having that uh, gravitas, that experience of winning uh, series in England and um, and just being a, a, a trusted confidant uh, of Langer, um, I think is, is helping to get him into the uh, into the right headspace to um, uh, to mentor and, and, and lead this uh, this team from uh, from the boundary. Um. Plenty was written during the World Cup about the the reintegration of of Stephen Smith and and David Warner. Um, the whole sandpaper episode is bound to be raised again, I guess, with Edgbaston being that that most prickly of um, Ashes venues. Uh, has a couple of questions, I guess, to finish with. But do you think that's all been dealt with successfully? And um, then to finish, really, um, Australia obviously haven't won here since two thousand and one. But can this team uh, end that drought? So, in reference to um, Newlands and and and, um, and Sandpaper, I think uh, I think they're well uh, well braced, I guess you'd say, for what they're going to get from the crowds. They know what they're going to get. I think the the question is 
how resilient are they going to be able to be over five tests because that obviously has a, a cumulative effect that um, that we see in, in test matches and, and, and test series in the past, whether it's what's being said and done on the field or what's being um, uh, said in the, in the crowds. And, you know, as an example, the, the cumulative effect of the abuse that the Australian team were subjected to in South Africa in 2018 was certainly a factor in... Um, in them um, trying to find ever more desperate ways to uh, to stay in the series, which obviously didn't turn out well. So that's <laughs> that's a question in terms of how they're going to to handle things. And I think as well, there's probably a little bit of um, uh, curiosity or preparedness, one of the two, about um, yeah whether whether something or other emerges about. Um, uh, about the uh, the Newland scandal that hasn't been um, put on public record yet, um, and that's just something that sort of simmers away in the, in the background. And certainly, Cricket Australia have, um, I, I think, wargamed a little bit about um, should something of that nature, you know, don't know exactly what emerge. Um, Sounds that intriguing. They'll, that they'll have to deal with it. Uh, yes, another another subplot uh, uh, for the series, um, and and in terms of of ending that winless run in this country. Yeah, the um, uh, the the way that I've seen things over the past few weeks is that uh, on um, on a on a rational basis, you would say that uh, Australia, with the the strength of their bowling attack and the amount of time that they've been able to put into preparing for test cricket and preparing for this series, uh, yeah, rationally and objectively, uh, they um, they should go on to, to win the series, I think. Um, however, uh, you know, even though England um, have obviously put a lot of um, uh, a lot of their eggs in the World Cup basket, uh, they are still playing at home. They are still playing uh, with a, a batch of 2015 Dukes balls Per the, the, the personal requests of, of James Anderson, but they have all, they, they have full you know control over what the pitches are going to be. So they have a lot in their favour. But uh, in so far as an Australian team coming over here and being fully prepared from quite a way out for this series and with a priority to win it, having not won over here since 2001, as opposed to an England team that was preoccupied with the World Cup, uh, yeah, something. Um, Something rather dramatic is going to have to happen, I think, for uh, for Australia to be on the losing side. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, we'll let you get back. Hopefully, Birmingham is more accommodating for Australian journalists than it has been for the cricket team. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, Al. So, Langer's family-friendly holistic Aussies are ready, and they are here. But it's the same old England awaiting them, with more holes in the batting than your average block of Emmental. Uh, we thought they might have found an opener at Lords, uh, but uh, as we've touched upon, Jack Leach, uh, man of the match for his 92, uh, he hasn't even made the cut to play Australia, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the right decision. That, Despite that 92, I don't think Leach was ever going to get in on account of his batting, and much as Moeen's form has come under quite a lot of scrutiny in the past 12 months especially, he, he is still on a good run in tests, if you look at those in isolation very well in Sri Lanka over the winter and at India when he played last summer um, I think he's the leading wicket taker since the beginning of last summer for England uh, yeah, in tests uh, even, just ahead of James Anderson and he, you know he's not got a brilliant record against Australia by any means especially with the bat but if he's hidden down at 8 or 9 like it's quite probable I imagine for the first test it's not beyond 
the realms of possibility that he could go in below Chris Wokes um, as a number nine. But yeah, I think he's you know well, it's, uh, it's his job with the ball, isn't it? His his counter-attacking runs were so significant uh, four years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I mean that's the that's England's strength, isn't it? I mean, we can we can get sort of sidetracked with the with what goes on at the top of the order, England win at home basically because they're able to take 20 wickets and 20 wickets are almost a given um, and their sort of phalanx of uh, number sevens will score you enough runs once the top order's been blown away to, to, to win the matches and that's that's been a strength that will be a strength again um, and um, you know no matter what they decide to do at the top of the order well, on that, uh, the significant development uh, coming out of England's preparations is that Joe Root will grasp the nettle and, and move back up to number three. Um, thoughts on that, Butch? Is it, is it the way to go? It's what? long been discussed. Yeah, it has. And he's tried it several times. He has tried it, no, never very successfully. Um, if he's comfortable with it and that's what he wants to do, then more power to him, I guess. I, I've never, as you know, I've never bought into the idea that he should just do it regardless. Um, because it leaves a gaping hole at number four. Now, I'm, I'm guessing if that's the case, then what? Denley's going to open and Jay uh, Roy's going to bat four? Well, uh, you're guessing that, but uh, the suggestion is uh, that Jay Roy will stay at opener and uh, Joe Denley will bat at number four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, sticking with the opening partnership, <laughs> I suppose, would right. be uh, okay. <laughs> the, the one, one innings they've had innings, together. Yeah, the one innings uh, they've Roy, had. Roy and Burns, of course, uh, uh, neither lasted too long uh, oh. on Lords at uh, Lords on the first morning. <laughs> and then Jack Leach filled in and did a, a fine job. Jason Roy scored runs at number three, as someone has been calling for uh, yeah. going back away. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay. Joe Denley is now batting in the spot that that you would call the position for the best batsman in the team. Everybody but Australia would call, would put their, their best player, their most productive player, their most likely player at number four. You go back to Viv Richards for the West Indies, Brian Lara for the West Indies. Um, who else? I mean, just keep just reel them Sachin off. was the number four, Sachin wasn't he? batted at four. <laughs> Kohli bats at four for India now, etc., etc. It's kind of root has tended to bat four. Root has tended to bat four and be pretty <laughs> successful there. So yeah, Kane Williamson. Um, does he bat at three or four? Am I just blowing myself out of the water? There? <laughs> but anyway, I think he'd do fine. At I think it, either way, yeah, no, not a problem. But I mean, so now Joe Denley's going to bat four. Joe Denley, who to me along with Rory Burns, are the two most vulnerable players at the top of the order. For you know, If they get, get off to a bad start, first two test matches don't make any runs, you know, the calls for one or both of them to go would be, would be pretty loud. Um, you're putting Joe in a position that is kind of... that, that there wasn't a problem with. So this so is... I'm, no, I'm not having it. It's, it's, <laughs> te- it's terrible. It's a bad call. This is the um, weakening a strength uh, argument, uh, Matt. Obviously, Root yeah. has... Uh, Root actually um, averages more opener than he does at number three. Mm. Yeah. He, do- he averages have an awful record at three. It's, no, it's, it averages no, mid, sort it's, of low 40s. It's, 40, right? yeah. it's not as good as um, it is at number four. Exactly. Where it's nearly 50. Mm. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, the, the problem England have got themselves into is having basically the cupboard is bare of the county players that used to be there four or five years ago where you could have someone who has been consistently putting up big runs who would be putting some kind of pressure on the openers if they fail a bit in the first few tests. So, like, what's going to happen now if there's if if any of 
Denley Burns and Roy goes on a bad run is they'll look around and think, you know, suddenly who is there? Because Dom Sibley and Zach Crawley are the people that seem to be having good, good-ish seasons. Uh, you know, Sibley is having a very good year by all accounts, but before... He had a very good last year too. But before last year, he'd hit one championship hundred, which was in 2013, and then gone on a very lean patch. Um, and he, the other problem is that he won't have been playing any four-day cricket come the third test or whenever it will be that they'd the, consider making the change. Because the blast is thing, this is why it doesn't make any sense to me, right? I, of course, I'm massively biased towards the idea of Jason Roy batting at number three because I've been banging on about it forever, <laughs> and I will continue to do so until it eventually happens. <laughs> so Joe, Joe Root has now moved from his position of strength of number four to either satisfy the clamour from, from people who really ought to know better that, that being at three will solve all of England's problems, when it doesn't solve any of them at all, right? You've still got um, an, an opening pair unproven um, you know Roy, Roy and Burns Burns is starting to run out of a little bit of goodwill the sort of the ugly technique and the shuffling from side to side and the and the dismissals um, uh, pushing at the ball outside of your stump are starting to get people thinking well this guy is he, is he good enough um, which was which is, which is always going to happen it can happen the guy playing the way that he plays needs to kind of to score more regularly you know um, in order to keep people off his back so you've got an issue there Joe Denley is but is nobody's no, in, as far as I can see is nobody's idea of the answer to England's either number three, number two, definitely not number four um, issue because there wasn't a number four <laughs> issue. We had a really good player bang a number four. Um, and so so what you've done what you've done what you could have done very simply was go, Jason Roy, we fancy him at number three. We need a, we've got a, we don't have a number three at the moment. We're gonna put him there at number three. We'll move Joe Denley up to number one with, with Rory Burns, both of whom at the moment are pretty dispensable. And you've got people like Sibley waiting in the wings, etc. Um, we'll we'll manage that situation as it comes. But if you put if you put Jason at three, who you want to play and you want to keep him in the side, then you go three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is for England. We're solid. The only thing we're worried about then is the is the bit at the top. And to be perfectly honest with you, in the conditions that we've seen and the the balls um, with the bigger seams on them from last year and whatever, mm-hmm. Alistair Cook couldn't score any runs opening the batting. So it's kind of a dispensable position anyway, right? <laughs> Yeah, but, no, you, but not anymore. Now you know <laughs> it's oh, you, man. You, you're, you're kind of going down the. Uh, I saw NASA. Uh, Hussein picked a team uh, last week, which involved opener A and opener B. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, but look, you, you've got two guys, two guys who are in the team, C- right? Couple two of guys, guys in front of the firing in the squad, squad and are going to play, but neither of them are kind of like a, a, a anybody's idea of a permanent fixture so you push them out the door first <laughs> then he burns you have Roy at three and Joe stays where he is at number four I mean I, did, I really didn't see this one coming I have to say two, two which sacrif- is kind of which is a little bit disconcerting <laughs> well I mean uh, yeah all on the eve of the ashes as well yeah. um, just uh, just rejig or, or um, rearrange the deck chairs I suppose would be the yeah. analogy but I suppose you go back to the beginning if, if you're not worried about the top order runs because you, you, you think you're going to get plenty of them down in the middle and the end then, it, it, then I shall worry myself less yeah and what a perfect way for the, the Bayless <laughs> era to conclude in a sort of blaze of glory <laughs> we're very concerned about the top four and yet get bailed out by Stokes, Bairstow, Butler well yes and on that front of course uh, uh, Ben Stokes and Joss Butler missed the Ireland test uh, rested after the World mm. Cup um, they will both be back presumably to sort of bat five and sti- five and six mm-hmm. uh, above Bearstow. Ben Stokes is officially vice captain again. Um, mm-hmm. See that as a significant uh, move? No, not really. I mean, it, it, sort of official recognition that he's 
his he past, was, whatever. Yeah, uh, but I mean, he would have he would have played that role in the side unofficially team. anyway. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think in the in the Fletcher era. Um, when I was playing, we never nominated a, a vice captain because there were a lot of senior players around who sort of fulfilled the role. We kind of knew that it would be Trez who would take over if um, Michael Vaughan had to go off the field or whatever. But it wasn't a, you know, there was a bit of a committee of senior players who were kind of looked upon to do that role anyway. Um, it's a, ni- a nice little, nice little honour, but it doesn't really mean anything or change anything particularly. Um, and, and just to uh, touch on Roy's role again, um, Matt, Josh Hazelwood has, has come out and, uh, and sort of questioned his credentials as a test player, likening him, him to Aaron Finch, who obviously stepped up for Australia, uh, f- sort of into the breach over their summer, um, you know, a, a sort of first yeah. choice pick in, in mm. white ball cricket. Struggled a little bit with um, with he had a tough time against uh, the, uh, against Boomer and Co. In exactly. The um, yeah. I mean, is this just typical kind of pre Ashes fighting fighting talk? And and in a way, if you're being targeted for that uh, as as Roy's, then well, you know, perhaps the opposition are maybe what. Yeah, and I think Roy's the sort of character who's going to quite enjoy the idea of getting sucked into something like that. I think he's you know he's a punchy kind of guy. He's not going to mind too much I think in some ways it's better that he's fired up for a Nashes series and that the opposition seamers are trying to get at him rather than mm. it, it would be unusual for, for Roy to go back into an environment where no one was having a bit of a word um, so yeah I, th- I think it's pretty standard pre-Ashes fair yeah I agree um, I, but I disagree that he's that the, 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 with the Aaron Finch comparison because Jason Roy's technique is, is better than Aaron Finch's doesn't mean he's going to be any more successful if, if again if the ball jags around all over the place um, but I, I still think that as a top order player that Jason Roy stands as, as much of a chance as of any of the, the less attack minded players that we've tried in the last six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> how far are we going to go back yeah. going back a wee way yeah um, and uh, we've, we've sort of uh, referred to Moeen's struggles but, uh, but Bairstow also in a, in a bit of a rutter form um, that Axis has sort of been pivotal over previous um, yeah. successful England campaigns. I mean, uh, certainly, the last Ashes, Moeen contributed lots of runs down in that position. Moe's um, issue is, is is a little bit of, a, of an interesting one because the short. I think the short ball has really got got to him of recent times. So he went through that period of sort of trying to stand up and play it, and got caught short leg. Then went through the sort of, I'm going to hook everything, and kept getting caught out on the hook. And now he kind of walks out there, and, and people are just bombing him from the beginning, um, and that seems to uh, seems to have knocked his confidence a little bit. He doesn't seem to be quite so, so free into the into the drive on the front foot. Timing seems to have deserted him a little bit. And whilst the bowling, you know, is, is, as you mentioned, his numbers in terms of wicket taking with the ball have been phenomenal, but um, you know, he, perhaps he's less to be relied upon. Um, if Australia go with sort of all out all out pace barrage, then he might have been in the past. Uh, Johnny, I would be less worried about. I think you know Johnny was just absolutely burnt out after the World Cup and the celebrations, um, and that you know, as try as all of the England players might have done to get themselves up for the Island game, those who were involved in the World Cup would have had absolutely no price of being in the right mental state to deal with uh, to deal with my my uh, former teammate and. Uh, uh, resident of 10 Christchurch Road, Purley, Tim Murta, because <laughs> I wouldn't have fancied facing him either after a big party of winning the World Cup. <laughs> but you reckon you bowled about the same pace as him uh, back in your heyday? Uh, yeah. Or, I or reckon, even quicker? Prob- I reckon so. I reckon probably about that. Um, 
definitely wasn't much more. I mean, when, in the early, very, very early days when I was more of an all-rounder, I might have clocked up a bit more than that. But I think Tim probably did. I mean, he's 37 now. So is it? <laughs> <laughs> but he was no, he was never he was never quick, but it was always unbelievably accurate and um, somebody not to be taken the Mickey out of. That level of skill uh, doesn't go. Mm. Um, Bearstow keeping. We we saw a glimpse of of why England had turned to Ben Folks uh, for five Test matches in in the winter. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, a missed chance off Andy Balburnie, I think it was Stuart Broad. Yeah. Who saw uh, uh, that go between keeper and slip? Probably was Bearstow's catch, and then a, a drop. I think a few overs later, the, the old broaditis and, and, and the, mm. the number of. Is he nearly a hundred yet? I think I think he might have cleared. He might have the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, there's clearly no sign that England are going to go back down that that route at this stage. Yeah, I don't think for a home series they will either. I don't think it's impossible that they would in a subcontinent one in a couple of winters' time, um, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think Folks has got a little back injury as well. He's been out of the Surrey team for the past couple of T20s. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I doubt it. Bairstow was a little bit ragged at Lords, but as Butch says, it's, I, I doubt he was in exactly the best best possible spot he could have been. <laughs> yes, there, yeah, there might have been some celebrating. I mean, the other side to that is, is that now that now with the top order reshuffle, there's no place for for Johnny to bat, is there? <laughs> well, he's he's got to go right he's back down. Bat, he's yeah. got to play, bat seven and keep wicket. There's nowhere else for him to go. I mean, I still, I'm still, I'm completely done by that. <laughs> Joe Denley at four. Okay, <laughs> we won't make you keep revisiting. <laughs> um, moving on to the bowling, I mean, it, it was not the luck of the Irish to have to start their chase of uh, 180 in in the murk and drizzle of Friday. Um, mm. Broad and Works were still pretty impressive. There is a chance that neither will play this week. Uh, what? With I mean, Jofra Archer coming into yeah, the squad. Although the noise, James Anderson is expected to be fit. The noise is coming out of the camp is that, that Jofra's not, you know, he's not 100% and mm-hmm. um, a test match debut at Edgerton, whereby, again, whereby accuracy might be more of a premium than out and out pace. They might decide just to hold him back um, and wait until he's absolutely fit. It's not as though England don't have an enormous amount of very good options, is it? I mean, you've got you know, 1,000, mm. nearly 1,100 wickets with the, with the two senior guys. Wokes mm-hmm. is in terrific form and he'll be playing at home. Um, and then what, what the other... Stone is unlikely to play, I think. That would be, that he'd be the guy that misses out for uh, me. But who knows? They might decide not to go with this. But I would, I would doubt that they would go without a spinner. But if it's overcast and green-looking, then, then they mm. might. I don't know. Um, Sam Curran, Matt, what do you think? Does he keep his place? He, he showed his value with a bit of a golden arm, albeit that uh, certainly his first wicket uh, in in the Ireland first innings was a half tracker that found its way to mid wicket. But then, what seemed to be vital runs in the second innings as well, although yeah. in the final analysis they didn't yeah. uh, contribute too much to the margin of victory. I, yeah, I sort of wonder how much. How many tests, are, if if any, Curran will end up playing? Because I think England have so many seamers now, and so many that they can play in home conditions, especially that I don't know. I think they'll be tempted to go reasonably horses for courses. So I think they'll almost certainly pick Wokes at Lords, for example. The average mm-hmm. is about nine and a half. I think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's less good. He's historically been less good at Old Trafford and Headingley, I think. So whether that will be the opportunity to bring in Archer mm. and you know for the past two summers they've said realistically they've said we won't play Broad and Anderson every test mm-hmm. that neither of them's capable of doing it and then 
lo and behold, they have. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether that this will be the summer where they decide that with back-to-back tests, one of them drops out for a game, or it's difficult to, to see well, but whether I, they I maintain fitness. I don't fitness. think that England will kind of, you know, there, there will, without any doubt, be some shuffling of the mm. deck, but they will. It's an Ashes series. Until the series is over, yeah. they will be looking to play what they consider to be their best and, and, and most experienced attack until such a time as, as perhaps they can afford to arrest people. Um, Sam Curran's an interesting one, though, because, you know, if, if the ball's going to swing anywhere, it swings at Edgbaston. And again, if you're if you're not expecting great returns from your top three or four, then he will score you some down. He's more likely to score you some at the moment than than Mo is. Mm. So he probably you know he might he might well come into consideration. Who knows? It's it's interesting because they pick you know there's a what was it a squad of six sixteen uh, fourteen four, fourteen yeah, okay so you've got three three spares belt and braces there's there's all three all the of options. which are three of which are all quick bowlers right so yeah you know, that's that, that, there are some that, some, some decisions to be made and they'll probably leave it until the, the covers come off on the first morning before they decide um first look at stone in in, in test cricket not uh, he played the odis at the winter mm. but uh, he he bowled with some good pace he did yeah yeah um again sort of sort the sort of conditions where pace is you'd prefer that to bat against than than the wobbly stuff, so <laughs> difficult to judge him on that. But as I said um, in the pod last week, I think it was more a case of getting a look at how he handles himself around the around the you know the, the Test match arena, um, whether he's whether he's daunted by it or not, and he's somebody that would give them an option um, with a Kookaburra ball and flatter conditions elsewhere. But I, I, you know, again, I'm not sure that he certainly wouldn't get in in front of Archer in England, and he, you know, and he might not get in front of Sam Curran either. Um, given that accuracy and, and, and lateral movement is more important than anything else here. It was a nice moment in that test as well when he took those two wickets in and over and was sort of trying to conceal his joy of taking test wickets and then looked up at the scoreboard and thought, yeah, probably probably don't want to go on about these too long. <laughs> Ireland nearly 100 runs ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, well, it certainly looks like being a, a series for the bowlers. Uh, as Dan has suggested uh, when we heard from him earlier, are Australia the favourites, Butch? No, of course not. <laughs> no, not. No, absolutely not. Um, yes, their preparations have been really, really good. Um, and so there, there can be no excuses of them sort of being caught cold um, at, at Edgerston in that first test match. But home advantage is utterly huge here. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about it now. This the, the entire thread of the conversation is that even though England aren't, aren't a terrifically sort of stable and um, uh, you, you, the sort of side that you would bet your house on for any games and test matches, at home they don't lose. So that counts for an enormous amount in uh, in, uh, in in this series, I think. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to win it, but to make Australia favourites, absolutely nonsense. <laughs> Um, the last time Australia won here, of course, a series you remember well. Matt, maybe less so. <laughs> How old was he? <laughs> 2001. Three years old. <laughs> Three, right. Yes. Maybe you're excused for not, <laughs> not remembering every detail of that we, one. We'll, uh, we'll send you the, the DVD highlights of Butch's <laughs> innings. My, well, no, my bowling at Edgerson, that's what you want to see. <laughs> of course, mm. the series began there. Um, mm. And that was the last time Australia won at Edgbaston as well. Was it? Yeah, OK. Yeah, I mean, we, we got absolutely smashed, didn't we? Um, <laughs> bowled out. 300s very, bowled and out for, uh, did we get, Martin. What did we get, 200, 280 or something? Was it as many as that in the um, first innings? And they got no, 500 was, and something, hundreds from yeah. Damian Martin, hundreds from Adam Gilchrist. Um, and then they knocked us over for 180 in the last inning. So, tough, but tough old game. Four for 42? Four for 42, 
included, I was on a hat trick, so I had Glenn McGraw on a hat trick. <laughs> and he got a leg by, and then Adam Gilchrist smashed me all over the park. <laughs> um, but yeah, tough. Well, but, uh, well actually, because the, you know we had the chance of not being sort of three hundred behind on the first innings there, but he then went on to Gilchrist got one hundred and fifty with the with with the with the absolute rabbits at the end and put the game so far out. Of is this when he smashed one back at you? That's well, yeah. This is before he got going. I could have had five, but I, I put it on the floor, basically trying to save my uh, my, my precious looks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, uh, another f- uh, a series that Matt won't remember, but the f- famous win at Edgbaston in in '97, which which got everyone's hopes yeah. up. England England went into that on the back of a glorious one day high. Uh, you mean you don't remember the Texaco, Texaco trophy, trophy whitewash? Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, Australia were they were they were kind of rucking and they were they were a bit underprepared um, for that. And McGrath bowled. Very un, un McGrath like in that uh, that uh, first innings. Of course, we'd bowled them out for 110. I mean, we almost bowled mm. them out before lunch on the first morning. Goffey and, and Caddy had it doing all sorts. There was a, there was a moment there when um, I don't know if it was Mark War. I think it was Mark War where where <laughs> Goffey bowled him out for no ball, and we were like, oh no, here we go. And the very next Back ball, he nicked one. <laughs> Nick to Nick to uh, Nasu caught a diving catch to his left at slip. I mean, it was just everything happened. It was my test debut, most incredible experience, <laughs> unbelievable. Holly stand was just was rocking. The whole ground was completely going mental, and I was batting sort of I don't know forty minutes after lunch on day one, having <laughs> lost lost the toss. I think so. Um, quite quite incredible, incredible and test match. Got to sit back and watch Nasser. Sat back, and, watch and Nasser and Thorpe. He put on three hundred plenty, and, and and we won the test match early on day. four. Five, I think, brilliant. It was a hell of a game. It, it didn't get any better. Didn't get any better than that uh, for the rest of the series. Six match series it was then as well. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, with a, a, a escape with the draw at Lords. Draw at Lords. Despite being bowled out for seventy-seven. Yeah, McGrath did a did a murder <laughs> against us <laughs> in the first innings. Um, then we lost at Old Trafford, lost at Headingley, lost at Trent Bridge, and that was the Ashes gone. And then got a, a consolation. Tuffnell-inspired win on an absolute stinking <laughs> pitch at, Lord, uh, at the Oval <laughs> in the last one. Uh, one, one the old consolation test yeah. as, as ever. Um, well, uh, uh, yeah, NASA, uh, that famous double hundred at Lords uh, at Lords at Edgbaston. I, I don't think we'll be seeing too many double hundreds this summer, unless Stephen Smith gets on one. Joe, I suppose. Joe, Joe, three. I mean, it's, it's written in the stars. <laughs> there isn't it? we go. Um, and with uh, the 2017-18 batch of Duke's balls uh, being used, fifth day tickets will be redundant once again. Um, <laughs> just, just before we finish, I just want to touch on the, the start of the the World Test Championship. Um, 120 points on offer per series. There's an explainer on the site which I recommend you read. Um, is this exactly what Test cricket needs? No. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so confusing, and that's the that's the explainer. <laughs> with, with effort, you know, credit to Nagraj. He's he's no, <laughs> I mean, he's done unbelievable work. But you know, putting together his frequently asked questions and all that kind of stuff. But oh my life, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, as well as being slightly weighted towards teams who only play two and three match series all the time. Um, it, no, it's not what it needs. I mean, what what Test match needs is is a, a really com- really competitive three, four and five match series and lots of them. What it doesn't need is matches over in two and a half days with teams struggling <laughs> to make 50. It's not good for the game. More quality, less context, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we were saying earlier it's if, if, if the Ashes ends 2-all, then England and Australia will uh, gain fewer points than a one-all draw in a 
New Zealand, Sri Lanka, two test shootout, um, which doesn't particularly seem right. I mean, I think it's a step in the right direction, but the problem is you needed a, a clean slate, a clear break to start with rather than Uni- building on Uniformity the, of series exactly. and all that kind of so stuff. So this the, is built into the FTP, which is based around sure, broadcast sure. deals and all that. Yeah, yeah. Rather than a sort of hodgepodge of let's yeah. stick some kind of attempt at context onto what we've already got. And, which and as, as I've, always, I've always said about test matches, this is why you know the, sort of like the, the dead rubber concepts and all these other types of things don't it doesn't really work. It works as a, as a, a media sort of construct, and uh, you know it, when you're when you're writing about them and when you're preparing television programs and stuff. But if you if you've bought tickets for a t- for the test match in your local vicinity, so you've got bought a t- test match for the Oval, no matter what the score is coming into the Oval test match, you're going there to enjoy the Oval test match as an event on its own, right? It has its own context as it does when you've got a test match at Leeds or a test match at Durham. They have, you know, to the people that are, that are there buying tickets on the ground, the test match has its own context. That is the piece of entertainment, regardless of what the score is going into it. So um, it's very difficult, I think, to be able to come up with something, particularly when it's so even, particularly when there is no uniformity whatsoever, to kind of then suddenly fashion a, a league out of thin air where not everybody plays everybody the, the same amount of times, not everybody's doing the same tours, all this kind of stuff, and turn around and say to people, there you go, that's fixed it. There's test cricket for you. Now we're all going to enjoy it all so much more. We're not, are we? <laughs> Nonsense. Well, we'll come back to this after the uh, <laughs> tied final of the first uh, World <laughs> Test Championship, which That's is exactly. decided on boundary count, boundary of course. Count. Um, from, from four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are just the opening shots in the, uh, in the latest Ashes phony war. If you're in Birmingham this week, take cover, especially if you happen to be passing a walkabout. <laughs> My thanks to Butch and Matt. We'll be back for more during the series. This has been the Switch It podcast on ESPN Cricket. Don't forget.